Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Am I on? Is this all making, coming through? If you've got a Bible, could you turn to Genesis chapter 1, please? Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there are a bunch lying around. Feel free to grab one. If you don't even have one at home, then just take that. That's our gift to you. Uh, we'd love you to have a Bible uh, so you can re- be, be reading about how awesome Jesus is. Let me introduce myself. My name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. If I haven't met you, a very warm welcome to you, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, it's great to have you here amongst us. What we're going to be doing today is we closed out last week our sermon series on prayer, um, and we're starting something new today. And what we're going to be spending this week and the next eight weeks, nine weeks in total, we're going to be starting a series we've entitled Thank God It's Monday, looking at the whole area of our work, what we do with most of our week. For most of us, it's a paid employment job that we go to and we do, and we we consider that work. For some of us, it might be laboring with children as a full-time parent. It might be, you might be retired, and actually, but there is still, my parents retired not too long ago, and they said they're working harder than they've ever worked, it seems. I'm not quite sure how that works out, but that's another element, or it could be some sort of mixture of those. And we're going to be spending time looking at what the Bible says about work, And how that kind of applies to us as Christians, as believers in the workplace, what God has got to say about it. We're going to be looking at some general sort of themes, first few weeks, and then getting into some practical stuff, and practical issues of how the good news of Jesus should affect our work and what we do with that, and how that sort of uh, works out. If you want some more information, you go on our website, click on the image, um, they'll give you a bit more of a breakdown of what we're doing over the next few weeks. by way of what I'm, what's going to happen is we've got a bunch of people coming to speak on this series and what I've asked all of them to do as they begin is to give a little bit of their background of their work history. So you're going to be hearing from a lot of people who have a lot of breadth in what they've done in terms of their job. But as I'm starting, I need to tell you what I've done by way of my work. Um, I suppose it starts when you become an adult. So I started my adult work life as a student. Uh, it was an interesting... I found working, but not getting paid for it. And during my work, I spent four years at university, and I trained to be a teacher. Um, that was my kind of... what I was aiming towards uh, for primary school children. So I worked, took me four years. At the, while I was doing that, I did um, various kind of temp brief jobs uh, that helped kind of try and pay my way uh, through university. Then when I left university, I worked as a primary school teacher. I taught year one and year six and a bunch in between. Um, ages in between, so I've had a breadth of working with small children. At the end of that, I was um, asked to come and work for a local church, so I spent about, I'm coming up on my 10th year now working for local churches, and I've worked for three, this one being my third. Now, when we moved to plant the church here, Real Life Church, I actually went back to what they trendily call now bivocational, which meant I went back to being a teacher as well as being a pastor, and so I split my time, and I did supply teaching, so I spent uh, about nearly two years going around various schools in the kind of greater Birmingham area, spending day here, day there, teaching a whole variety of children. And then as the church grew, I came back on and I'm now full-time employed by the church. So that's my role. I'm a pastor by trade in terms of my work. Now, what I want to do is we've got the, the passage at the beginning of Genesis. I want to read a bunch of them, a few select ones, just because it, there's a lot at the beginning of Genesis, but I want to focus on what God says about our work. So I'm just going to take a few bits, and then I want to talk about three things as we begin this series of what the Bible has to say about our work, what we do with that. So if you've got your Bible, if you go to Genesis 1, we're just going to read a couple of verses from Genesis 1, starting at verse 26. So beginning of Genesis, the God creates the heaven and the earth. 
and you, you have all about creation, at the end of that kind of chapter 1 account, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So God created man in his image and gave them a specific role. If we go down to the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heaven and the earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Go down to verse 7. So then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in the east, so a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If we go to verse 15, last section. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them into the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not a suitable helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. All right, three things I want to look at that we can learn from these kind of passages on work. I want to look at the origin of work, I want to look at the dignity of work, and I want to look at the purpose of work. Because the Bible has got a lot to say on this subject. Um, whenever you look at any subject, uh, sort of thematically through the, the scriptures, whether you want to look at parenting or marriage or work, or some other subject, it's always best, I find, to start with God. Whatever, wherever you want to go with it, to find out you know, what God's got to say about it, what the Bible has to say, I think it's always best to start with God. That's always a good place to start. He's the beginning of everything, so let's go back to him. And what we find out is that in the beginning, God worked. In the beginning, God worked. It's as basic as that. Creation itself, the creation of everything, the heavens and the earth, where God formed it, the animals, the mountains, the seas, the heavens, the stars, the sun, the moon, is described as God working. Those verses at the beginning of chapter 2, it even uses that word. And on the seventh day, God finished his work. He rested from his work, all the work that he had done in creation. It's, um, and when we think about work, bear in mind this is God working, there is no sin in the world, and we know God is perfect and good. He's working, he's creating, and the, the image, if you read the commentators, is, is not so much someone toiling and labouring in something that ultimately you think will be fruitless, or will it work? This is like an, an artist creating a masterpiece. 
someone working at a canvas with paints and brushes and ultimately what is finished is incredibly, is breathtaking, it's awesome. If you've ever been to art galleries and seen some of the pictures there, some of them are wonderful, but what went into them was work. An artist had to labour over that and what was there was just wonderful. Think about maybe a builder who spends time building a magnificent home or palace or something, and when it's finished, it's breathtaking, the effort they've put into it, this wonderful image of something that completed that can be enjoyed. Think about a, a cook or a chef who, who cooks a banquet, and they, they lay out the table and they serve it up, and their finished work is absolutely wonderful to behold, what they've put into that. Imagine a musician who writes a song or composes a symphony. When they've finished, when they've completed their work, their labour's gone in. What is left? What is the result of their, their work? It's awesome and wonderful. Behold, think of our writer who completes the novel, completes the manuscript, and it's handed over to the publisher to distribute so many can read the great story they've written. That's what it's like. God worked at something, and at the end of it, there is a masterpiece. One commentator described it as work could not have had a better start. The first worker was God. Work couldn't have had a better start. When we think about work, we think actually the first one was God and what a great way to start. What an awesome thing God did in his work. He created the heavens and the earth. He created us, put us in it. What a wonderful thing. And the interesting thing is God worked for the sheer joy of it. He didn't have a boss he didn't have a time card. He had to punch in and punch out. He didn't have a contract. He had to fulfill with its, what, 38 or 37.5 hours a week. He worked because he wanted to and he enjoyed it and he created something magnificent and beautiful. So God created because it was good. And actually, part of creation would describe as very good. You. <laughs> Not sure I'd describe it like that, but God did. As mankind, isn't it? Very good, he said. He created it and it was good and then he put mankind and he said, that's very good. He created it and he worked for the joy of it. But he didn't just create for the sake of creating. He actually, there was love in the heart of God and compassion for what he had made, his labour of love, because he, he gave man a job. He said, well, actually, I've created you and I've put you in. You are now going to care for what I've made. What I've worked for, you're now going to care for it. You're going to go on with it. He gave them a job to rule and be, be commissioned in that. He actually gave them the job to follow on after him. They were built in his image, mankind. It says in the image of God he made them. And he said, well, I've worked, I've created. I give you that role as well. He said, you're going to look after this place. He gave them dominion, rulership. So God, so God worked. So when we think of this subject of work, we've got to remember, in the beginning, God worked. He didn't sit on his celestial sun lounger, just, you know, being God. There was actually, there was an activity in the Godhead. And we read on in the rest of the, the Bible, and it gives us a fuller picture, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all actively involved in creation. All active in that, and they made heaven earth. They worked. The second thing we see there, under this origin of work, work is good. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Work is good. Someone wrote this. The book of Genesis leaves us with this striking truth. Work was a part of paradise. The book of Genesis leaves us with a striking truth. Work was a part of paradise. 
How many of you are have, kind of going apoplectic inside, like, work, paradise, work, paradise, does not compute, does not compute. There'll be sort of, sort of trails of smoke coming out of your ears. Work, good, paradise, no. But that's what I was, bearing in mind, reading through some scripture, the bad stuff hasn't happened yet. The bad stuff happens, chapter 3. We're still in 1 and 2. We haven't gone there yet, chronologically speaking. Nothing's bad is going on, but work is there. Work is good. There's no sin, there's no destruction, no decay, no death. Work is good. Work is good. It's part of God's perfect design for life. When people think about, I want to find God's will for my life, does anyone ever think, nine to five, in the office cubicle, that must be part of God's design for my life? Because work is. Work is part of God's design, right? It's how we were built. If we go forward and look in John 5.17, Jesus actually describes what he is doing and what God the Father is doing as work. He says, my Father is working until now and I am working. So actually the activity of God kind of didn't just end there at creation. And you think, well, he's put in his six days and now he can have the rest of eternity off. Good job, God. No, he's, he's, he's described his activity as still as working. He's still working today. He's continuing. Jesus described that. We're still working. And we often see work as evil or as a punishment. And we'll look at the problem of work in more detail next week. But the bottom line is we were created to work. You're welcome. Good news this morning. We were created to work. That's how God designed us and built us. And therefore, when it makes sense of some of the things we see and we feel in, um, in life. And that things like when we can't work or when you see people can't work, whether it's through redundancy, whether it's through long-term kind of unemployment, whether it's through poor health that stops working, even when people enter retirement, they, they can often suffer a sense of loss, a sense of purpose, a sense of significance, direction, and that's ultimately tied up in how we're created, that God has designed us to work. And work has a broad definition. We're looking at a broad definition, not necessarily paid employment. But actually, we need work to survive to, and to thrive. Because that's how God's built us, that, that kind of activity and energy. It's, someone wrote this. I read this. I read a bunch of books on work, which I didn't particularly care for what he wrote, but I think he's accurate. He said... Work is so important, it's the one thing we can do in significant amounts and it doesn't harm us. It's the one thing you can do in significant amounts and it doesn't harm us. You start clocking up your hours, eight hours every day, five days a week, and then you might be busy at the weekend doing things, tending the garden, repairing the house, whatever, and you can do that for over 40 years with maybe a few little blip breaks where you have some holiday and ultimately it doesn't really harm you. Yeah, I didn't like that quote, but I just want to share that with you. just want to share you, which comes back to, again, that God's built us for this. The reality is, according to the Bible, we don't just need the money from work to survive, because we often think, well, we, need, we work, I get, I get my money, and with that money I can then survive. It's actually, we need work itself to have a fully human experience. Not just what we get in terms of our financial remuneration, if you get that, but there's actually a sense of purpose and well-being in the work itself. Because if you go back to the passage in the garden, there was no money, but there was work. There was work. There was work to tend the garden. 
Therefore, work is not a burdensome command, but an invitation to be who God created you to be. Work is not a burdensome command, but an invitation to be who God has called you to be. Last part on this one. Work does have limits. Bit better news. It says, 2 verse 2, God rested after creation. He worked six days. He rested after creation. So there is a limit to work. It is not an all-encompassing monster that takes over our lives. Around this, this this helps us think about a few things. We We can make mistakes like work has no meaning. We only find meaning in something else. Maybe our family, maybe our leisure activity and times, maybe church activity. And that's a danger because work does have meaning, does have purpose. But I guess the opposite mistake would be that only work can give us meaning. Only work can cause us to thrive. Only work is what life is about, which again is not true. Work is not all there is to life. There is a pattern, a balance. And I know one of the things we've been looking at is balancing this whole kind of work and play and other things and how we serve God in that. But you will not have a meaningful life without work, but work is not the meaning of life. Someone wrote this. In short, work, and lots of it, is an indispensable component in a meaningful human life. An indispensable component. It is a supreme gift from God and one of the main things that gives our lives purpose. Work being a supreme gift from God. If you had a gift from God, you know, you talk about the gifts of God, would you really think you're Work was one of them. But actually, if we look at this, work is a supreme gift from God that gives purpose to our life. So what does this mean for us? I want you all to think about your work situation, whatever it is, what it's been in the past, what it might be in the future. Think about all the facets, whatever you you find yourself doing at the moment. God designed you to do that. Maybe not the specific job, but in work in general. God designed you to do that, to do whatever he's put in front of you at this point, whatever that does. And we've got, as I, you know, as I look out at a church here, I know many of you, and we've got a huge sort of variety of jobs that people do. And those jobs God designed you to do, and they're good. They're good things. Working is a good thing. And I don't know how you view your work or kind of what your attitude to is work in general. But work is good and God designed it because he worked and he asked us to do it and he designed and built us for work. And so when you think about your work tomorrow morning and you you head off to it or you might be at home, you live at home or whatever it is and you say, thank God it's Monday, I want you to think about your work and what you're going to do as, as as a good thing that God has given you as a gift to make you human, to live out the human kind of design he's, he's created us with. So that was number one, the origin of work. Number two, the dignity of work. Now there are many negative, pervasive views about work, many kind of things that we will all have been guilty at some time of thinking, that we will be butting up against constantly in culture. Work, generally speaking, is thought of as pretty evil, Pretty nasty. Oh, we have to work. It's a negative thing. Oh my goodness, I've got to go to work. Um, anyone who's on Facebook? Um, I'm on Facebook. The comments you get Monday morning are insightful. If you check your Facebook feed a few hours into Monday morning and check what your friends are, there's generally a feeling of pain and suffering that the good times are over of the weekend 
and it's back to the grind. It's back to kind of, oh, here I go again, Monday morning. I think I read someone a couple of weeks ago that just said, oh, Monday morning, how I hate thee. And literally, that's, that's what it said. And it's like, okay, insightful. But that, just, that, that was just how that individual was feeling that particular Monday morning. It's like, okay. And that's just a general attitude to work. One of our things that I bet we all secretly harbour, although probably not always practical, is that maybe one day, somehow, we will get to retire early. There will be some dramatic change in our circumstance, some windfall. And you might be in a job that possibly could earn you a lot of money. You might be in a job that maybe won't earn you money. So you start thinking about the lottery. I'd love to win the lottery, but you know what? I don't play it. But maybe if I did, maybe if my friend did, or my family member did, and they gave me a huge bunch of money, or there was an inheritance from the long-lost uncle I never knew I had, who happened to be a billionaire, and they just gave me all this money, and then, and then I could retire... And I wouldn't have to work. That's the kind of the key in the thought. I wouldn't have to. I would be able to sit on my beach or whatever kind of floats your boat. Um, probably a boat, actually. You're probably sitting on a very large one, cruising around somewhere very nice and tropical. You wouldn't have to work, and, and that would be so much better. So work is seen as that kind of, I won't have to do that anymore if I just had my resources to change it. We also have negative views on work that actually we, we view work or jobs particularly that are lower paying or menial as, as worse off. So a higher paying job, a bit more profile, more prestige, more perks is better intrinsically than a lower paying menial job. Um, we kind of, we would think ideally we'd like to earn, have a better job, earn more money and then we could pay someone to do some of the menial stuff we don't want to do. If we had the extra resources, we'd pay for someone to tend our garden, clean our house, you know, do other things. And so that's not actually that actually kind of working menial jobs are beneath us, are below us, are not, not good, you know, that we're better than that. And that can be an attitude that comes in. And this results in us as a kind of scientist culture looking for jobs that basically have better salaries, better perks, better things too, a higher prestige, higher value. They're the jobs we're after. We don't want to do... The, the lower pay, more menial jobs proceed to be because that's beneath us. We don't want that kind of work. And you get these kind of sort of divides in, in the work world where you get those who, who are kind of more knowledge workers, work with their brains and that thing, versus those who, give, who give certain, provide products and services. And there's a divide. And actually, we're better if we're knowledge workers because we, you know, we use our brains and that's much better than maybe more working kind of with our hands and doing things. People who get their hands dirty for a living, that can't be a you know, a decent kind of job. There must be something better than those who actually get down and dirty with what they do. We have, we have professionals versus tradesmen. And women, you know, if you have a trade, it's not as good as being a professional and being kind of more educated and having a, a better job, whether you wear, you know, a suit or an overall to work. Obviously, a suit's better because it would have more prestige, more money than if you wore overalls. And we basically get to a point where we think some work is inherently better than others. It, it's worth more. Um, and more important than others, and some work would be beneath us. But what the Bible says is that the fact that God works dignifies all work. All work is dignified before God because God worked. He was the first worker. And we are called to work in his image to reflect that. We are made in his image. And we do that. And um, one comment, one book I read said this, it says, no job is too small a vessel to hold the dignity of God. No job is too small to hold a smaller vessel to hold the dignity of God. And if you look at what God did in creation, 
We see God in chapter 2, verse 7 there, forming the man from the dust of the ground. He was down and dirty in the mud, making mud pies that look like you and me. That's kind of the imagery there. He was down. He was manual labouring. That's kind of what God was doing, building a man. The God of creation, the sovereign Lord, who's just spoken stars into space, Flick them out, sun, moon, separated night and day, the waters, created mountains, gets down in the mud like a child and makes a man. He, he's a manual labourer. Ironically, when he came to earth as Jesus, what did he do? He was a carpenter, he was a manual labourer, he was a guy who worked with his hands. That's what he did. He was also, it says, he was a gardener. God planted the garden. And the first job he gave Adam was a gardener. Tend the garden. I had an extremely brief career as a gardener. That's why I didn't mention it in my work history. It was that brief. But I used to go and do gardening um, for an elderly couple in the village I lived at a few hours on a Saturday morning. Um, I'd ride my bike over there and I'd do some gardening. And I always came back dirty and needed a shower after it. You couldn't do gardening without getting dirty and muggy. And I usually had thorns stuck in me and other bits and pieces. Um, but that was first, his job. He, gave him, he was a gardener. He planted a garden. We also see him kind of almost with an artistic flair and we've talked about in creating that masterpiece. That's who God was. That's what God was like. He can't, you can't, we can't demean certain types of work as better than others because God works and all work is dignified. And if we look at some of the men and women God used throughout the Bible, it's not something that's often focused on, but if you look behind here, some of their professions, their careers, we've got a whole range. There are a lot of shepherds and farmers and people who have cattle in, in that God has chosen to use. And God has chosen to be part of the story. I bet that wasn't kind of nice and tidy work or clean work and probably had long hours, unsociable hours, very dirty, very smelly at certain points. He also used soldiers. He used administrators and people in politics, priests, fishermen. He used doctors. He used those who were, who were part of royalty, tent makers and a carpenter. Now, God used a wide range of people from all different kind of backgrounds, all different work life. And the fact is, all work is dignified because God is the ultimate worker and the God, one who started it. So we cannot be, we can't be looking down on it. And therefore, our work is all dignified. Whatever we do, whatever you find yourself laboring at now, whatever comes to you in the future when life circumstances change, our work is dignified. Because it's, it's bearing the image of God in the place God has put us. It's following his likeness and the way he's called us. We're doing something with him as representatives. He, says to, he said to them, the, the, the man, didn't he? he said to exercise stewardship, have dominion over creation. Have dominion over creation, rule it, use it, work at it. And so for us, we have... Um, uh, we have to um, look down, we cannot look down or even up on different types of work, you know, versus high paid and low paid jobs. We can't be in one position looking up saying, that's better, I want that, but at the same time we can't be up looking down saying, I'm better because I have the better job than the low paid guy down there. When we think about the places we work, the managers, the directors, the CEO, the CFO, the ones who are in kind of authority and have, make the megabugs, they're not inherently better than the PAs, the secretaries, the cleaners, the guys who work in the canteens, sort of the middle managers 
and the interns in a particular company. They're not inherently better. The work they do is inherently better. It's all work and it all honours and dignifies God. Even when we think of paid versus unpaid. Some of us get paid for our work. Some of us don't get paid for our work. People who volunteer in various organisations. Parents who stay home and serve their kids and work in raising uh, their children. I was in, um, worked in a school and I, had to, I, even had to, I saw this and I had to battle this. Who's the best people in the school? Well, obviously the teachers are because we do the best job and we had to go to university to get that. You know, so we're the teachers. We even, had, we even had things that were enforced here. When we have a staff meeting, you have a staff meeting every week in school, only the teachers go. The staff doesn't go. Even the name itself is exclusive because we have a staff meeting but you don't get to go there. Only the teachers go there which is a really silly name when you think about it, but every school has staff meetings, but the staff don't go. The teachers go. And I had people who came into my classroom, support assistants who helped me out, run the classroom, but I got paid way more than they did. And I'd been to university to train, regardless of their experience. We had people who served in the canteen, our caretakers, our cleaners. We had parents who came in and read to the kids, just volunteered. We had the lollipop ladies outside. They were ladies. I mean, you can have lollipop men, but they were ladies who helped the kids across the road. Kind of, they obviously weren't as good as myself, as a highly paid you know, teacher. And we can get us, find ourselves in actually what I do, what I'm doing is much more important because I've got child contact, I'm doing this. And we can find ourselves falling into some of these traps. And as I, even as I repaired this, I found myself thinking, I've done this, I'm about to tell you guys about it. But actually we can't be in a forward position to think one work is better than another one. Another great one that we can fall into is the sacred versus the secular, the so-called secular. What I do as a pastor is way better than what you guys do because I work for Jesus. You know, my job is holy. My job has a Bible that I use like every day. You know, I get to prepare sermons. So obviously, as a sacred job that I have, you know, imagine if I wore a collar as well, that would make me even better. You know, and what you guys do, go out to your offices or with your children or doing what you do, you know, of course my job's better, which is just a load of bunkum, but we can get into that. We can get into that thinking where we, we rank jobs and we can rank them by pay or on pay, we can rank them by qualifications that it took to get there. The more qualifications, the more letters. I had a friend who was a vet who had quite a short name, but the letters after her name, because they, we well, they were magnificent, they were just, they went on and on and they had Q's in and other letters that you don't normally use. And I remember, remember taking you through me once. I said, just, just tell me about the letters after your name to qualify to be um, a vet. And then when she'd been a vet, she'd taken further kind of professional qualifications. And they were just, she went through them once. And I thought, what is that? And they just kept going and kept going. She said, when I get letters from the, whatever, I think it's like the Royal Veterinarian Society, whatever it's called, the kind of professional body she has to be a part of to be a vet. She said they would get the whole nine yards. They wouldn't just write to her. They'd write to her plus all her titles and they'd get, they'd get the letter out. And I remember seeing it once and we had a good old laugh. But it's, she had letters, you know, more letters you know, um, after her name than kind of were in my name and everything. So it was, it was brilliant. But that, we can see that. That's better because she's worked that much hard and she's got those qualifications. But intrinsically, her job is no better than anybody else's in what it is, because God has dignified all our work in everything that it's a part of. And it comes the same with the sacred and the secular. Those who work for God, whether it be full-time pastors or youth workers or evangelists, or anything, they're, not, they're not better than anything else. And it's just something we've got to make sure we're bashing down and we're aligning what we think with what the Bible says. And so my question to you guys today is, how do you view 
your work? Do you view it as a, a necessary evil that you are pushing through till whatever it is, 65? By the time you get there, it'll be 75. So, you know, it's just going to keep going. You know, do you keep thinking, I'm going to keep pushing through that, um, that thing? It's just something I have to do. Do you even feel the work that you do maybe is beneath you? You've almost had to take the job that you've got because there wasn't other work. We've had a difficult time as a nation over the past few years financially and with what the work situation. Do you feel that your work is actually beneath you? Do you feel if, if you're starting your career at the bottom, you think, I'm just enduring this so I can get to a better job as I work my way up the, the rungs? If you've had to take a career break or you stop because of children care, do you look at that as something that this isn't, this isn't what kind of the proper job I was doing, it's what I used to do, or things like that? How do you view your work? Because I, my encouragement is line it up with what the Bible says, that whatever you're doing work-wise, God has dignified that. God has called that good. It is a good thing to be doing. Do not look down upon your work. Do not look down upon others' work. That's the danger. One of the things that we can really do is compare ourselves with one another. Born out of insecurity in our own hearts, um, desire to make ourselves feel better, but we can look down at others' work and actually think, well, what I'm doing is much more important than what you're doing because I either get paid more, I work longer hours, I've got better qualifications to get there. And the fact that I get paid, you don't even get paid. Or we could be on the other side where we look up to others and think, what they're doing is so much more important than what I do. What I do is so kind of small or insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And I say, if you've got those, like me, if you had those attitudes, you need to repent of them, you need to turn away, you need to ask God for your forgiveness and say, God, line my views up with what the Bible says about what I do and how that works. Last one. The purpose of work. The purpose of work. The purpose of work, uh, looking at these passages, really, you could sum it up probably in several ways, but I've picked a couple of words which will hopefully try and help us is cultivation and creativity. Work is all about cultivation and creativity. Adam and Eve were, were created, they were put in uh, on the earth, they were told to fulfill, fill it, fill it and multiply, that was a, a mandate they were given, they were meant to actively multiply it, create after themselves, but they were also told to rule, subdue, bring dominion to the earth, it says in uh, chapter 1 verse 28. Now this, when it talks about ruling and dominion, this was pre fall, pre the fall. There was no sin, there was none of that. So it's not in an adversarial type of way. Sometimes you can think of bring dominion, subdue, like you're taking on an enemy and you have to beat them down, make them tap out because you've, you've got them. No, no, this is pre that. So it's not in that kind of way. It, it, it's in a shaping way and giving, uh, giving, kind of drawing out its potential. It echoes what God did in creation. It says at the beginning... It says the earth was what? Formless and void. It had no form. It had God brought it and shaped it and did something out of it. And we are to do the same. It's almost like God said to man, there it is. Bring out its potential. I've created something. You've got all the raw materials there, all the bits. Bring out its potential. There's the garden. It's got all the plants in it, all the animals. Just create. Go crazy. Do something with it. I imagine it like I'm being given a, a box of Lego bricks. Lego is the best toy ever created, ever. Because you can give ten people the same number of little bricks and say, do something with it, and they'll all create something different. 
They'll all make different things. And uh, some of the creations you can make with ever are absolutely amazing. And God said to Adam and Eve, and the guy said, go create, go crazy, tend and shape the garden, in verse 15. And my, I mentioned my brief career as a gardener. That's what I did, one of my roles, under direction of the owners of the house. I didn't just go crazy with the shears, but they, they said, tend, create. They, they told me to do things, clip the hedge back, do this and same. When I'd finished, I had shaped something in the garden by taking clippings off, making the hedge straight. It looked neat and could grow for the next year. I remember one time so vividly where I was asked to, he had this kind of vine that grew around his house, it was a big old cottage, this big vine that grew around the house that grew grapes, um, and they were, he said they were pretty horrible sort of sour grapes that he said that you wouldn't want to eat, or we wouldn't want to eat as people, but he said the birds love them. So I, I tend this vine so the birds can kind of eat the grapes, and he said, I want you to go out this vine and just destroy it and take everything off it bar the branch. I'm like, all right, destruction is what I do. Give me the secateurs. And I went at it and I totally mullered this vine, completely destroyed it. So basically it was just, it was just the, the branch all around the house, all the stuff I took off. And I came back and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I took what you said really seriously and you're probably going to be quite cross now because I'm fairly literal like that. And he came back and he said, oh, he was thrilled with that. And we came back a few months later and the place was buzzing with kind of life and fruit. And he said, you, he said, you did that. He said, that to me, you did that by shaping this branch is now bearing hundreds, hundreds, thousands of grapes that the birds loved and ate off the vine. And so I'd, I'd brought something to that. I had shaped it. I'd help move um, something forward in the garden. And mankind was told to do that, exercise that creativity. And it wasn't just in a physical thing. It also says, verse 19 there in chapter 2, it says they, he was asked to name the animals. There are a lot of animals, aren't there? Even if you kind of just take species, not just each animal, you don't call each animal in the spheres. This is Dave the elephant, and this is Sam the elephant. No, elephants. Even if you just take general stuff, there's still a lot of names, but it was, an, it was a mental exercise. God said, I can imagine Adam there, you know, maybe he, was sitting, maybe he was standing. God said, here you go, what's this one called? Elephant. Right, next one. Zebra. You know, and he just kept bringing them. You know, he's like, oh, I don't know, tiger. And you, can, you know the ones that got to the end of the queue where he was really kind of like the duckbill platypus? That was probably down the end of the queue when he was just running out of stuff to say. But that was a mental exercise for Adam. He had to actually use his brain, use his thought. I've got to name all these animals. I've got to get a bit creative in what I call them. And so that's what we did. So we are to involve our minds in what we do. And I believe we'll explore this more as we look forward, but one of our kind of our roles and our purpose of our work is to bring that creativity and energy which comes from the heart of a creator God to what we're doing. And it can involve physical activity, it can involve mental activity, which gives great dignity to whatever kind of you find your work you find yourself in, where you find yourself in an extremely cerebral work. I'm trying to think what's the most... Things like research medical research, scientific, you have to use your brain a lot. I mean, you've got to use it a lot, but some of these kind of far-out theoretical things really use mental energy into it. Well, there's also the more physical. You've actually got to physically build things. The homes we live in, the shops that we go to, they've got to be, someone had to build them, which is very much more a physical activity, but both of them are dignified by God and given opportunity to unleash creative potential. 
And if we think about our world today, so many of the things that we enjoy, we see, are because men and women have taken what God has said, whether knowingly or unknowingly, and unleashed creative potential into the world, into their work. Think about simple things like the car, which only appeared on the scene a hundred-ish so years ago. And think about the first cars and the first sort of production cars. And then someone came along and thought, we can do a better job of that. We can make this more efficient. We can do things with this. And then you see what we drive today with the fuel-efficient engines and how fast they can go and how safe they are and air conditioning and the technology that can be rammed into a car. We now have electric cars. Have you seen that there's a point in town where it says electric cars only can park? I didn't think anyone owned an electric car and there were two car parking spaces I can't use because my car's not electric. Who has it? My son has an electric car. It's about that big. You know, know, the space is a bit overkill. But there's this creative energy that is unleashed in just that one area. Kind of the manufacture, and even manufacturing building cars becomes more efficient and quicker. The transportation. And you can see it going on and on. Think about the computer game industry. Or computer games. They're just from... I remember, I'm young enough and old enough to remember the beep, beep, you know, with the uh, pong, you know, with the lines going up, Atari, pong, doo, doo, and the ball would just boop, boop, boop. And I was so useless at it, I just, it kept going in. And then you get what last week was the biggest computer game hist- uh, launch in history, Grand Theft Auto V. They took a billion dollars in less than two days. A billion dollars in less than two days. And this... This game has been heralded as, you know, as well as depraved and immoral, but wonderful kind of computer-generated world that people live in. And you think the advancement of those, someone has thought about how do we make computer games more immersive and effective and enjoyable, and you can have them on your phones, and you can have them, you know, being planted in your brain, and you can just all sorts of things. It's all going. That kind of creativity has been unleashed. And so when we think about our work and what you do, and I remember I sat there and thought about all well, this thing about my teaching. Even in the few years I taught in a primary school, there were so many innovations in how you teach, how you communicate with the kids. The technology used, they take technology that had been invented in this industry and say, well, we'll bring it into the classroom. How do we make it more effective for the children to teach? I had to go on courses to learn new techniques. And you're sitting there thinking, man, someone's really thought about this. And they brought their energy to it. And I'm now learning and I'm taking it back into the classroom of how I teach the children, how I interact with them, how they learn, how I learn, how I can help them to learn. And when we think about our work, we're called to have, bring that kind of energy. And whatever your work is tomorrow morning, how can you unleash creative energy into what you're doing? Look at what you're doing. Look at the workplace. Look at the environment. How can we do something with this that ultimately benefits everybody? That makes it better. Can I add something to this? These team meetings that I have to go to, which are dull as heck, and I've got to go to every Monday morning because that's what you have to do. How can you do something with those and add something to it and give to the company and your colleagues or who you work with? How can you, you know, improve your service to the clients that you're working with, the product that you're producing? How can you just improve your own personal kind of workflow? This is what I've got to do. How do I make that better? How do I add to that? How do I learn from what others? Good practice, technology, articles that people have written. All this kind of creativity and purpose. Because that's, I think, what God's initial intention was work, for work was. He said to Adam, look, there it is. Go make You're going to multiply more of you. You're going to have many more of you. You're going to grow in number. 
You've got a garden to shake. You've got a world full of potential. Raw materials are right there. Things to be mined out of the ground. Things that you can take and you can use and shape and create civilization. You can do these kind of things. And so that is our purpose. So as we kind of begin this series and you start, think, you start thinking about work in detail and what we do, let me just recap what we've looked at today. And I want you to kind of lift your eyes about what God has called you to do in your workplace and the work that you have, whatever that is. Because we said the first thing, that the origin of work was God and it was good. And work shouldn't become our God. It shouldn't control and consume our lives. There was a very a pattern of rest and work. But it's something that takes a lot of our time, a lot of our lives. That's how it began. We saw the work, all work is dignified, whatever it is. Whether it's a seemingly menial, small job or something high-powered and, and with a lot of responsibility and a lot of fallout and a lot of money involved. All jobs are dignified by God. All work is dignified by God. And we need to kind of have that attitude to whatever it is. And the purpose of our work, what we're doing is, how can, we, how can we unleash something of the creativity God's put in us as a creator to that workplace? How can we benefit? How can we cultivate it? How can we make it more than it actually is? How can we make it greater than it actually is and give something to it? Because I believe that's what God's called us to. And as Christians in the workplace, I think anyone can do this, but as Christians we need to understand why we're doing it. It's not just to make our life easier or make pots of money for the company. Or you know, It's actually we're expressing something of a creator God and all that he's called us to. And we can, we can show generosity of heart to anyone who works around us to not demean those who we think have got, you know, the cleaners who clean the office, they obviously don't work as hard as us and their job's not as good as us. No, actually, they're all on a level before God and they all have purpose in their work and their work is good and so we can bring that attitude of heart to us because ultimately God is the worker, God is the one who started it and we are following his image. I find it fascinating when Christ came to the earth, he spent the first 30 years in obscurity and most of that he was what? Working in a job with a hammer and a saw in one hand, just working as a carpenter. And then kind of we focus, as, as the Gospels do, on the kind of the back end, his ministry, which is so important. But there was a, a forming time where God worked. Jesus worked. He brought ultimate dignity to that profession and what he did in it. And that's a wonderful thing. So as we kind of start this, I was hopefully laying a bit of a foundation. Next week, I'm going to look at the problem with, of work and kind of what went wrong. Um, so you'd love to come and hear that one. Um, you'll know it went wrong. Um, I'll just tell you why and how. Um, and then after that, we'll look at how the gospel redeems work and what we can do with that. But I'd just like to finish by praying for us that actually that we, can, we can take these truths and they can line up with life and they have an effect on how we approach what we do um, work-wise. So let me just pray and we'll end there. Lord Jesus, I want to start by thanking you for work. Thank you, Lord. And everyone else says thank you as well. Thank you, Lord, that you designed it and you built it into us that it, as, as an important component of our life. Lord God, I thank you that ultimately what was good in you and you, you, you designed it and built us to work to, to bring something to this world, to bring something to the world that you created, to shape it, to form it, to bring creativity 
and cultivation into our work life. Lord, I thank you for that opportunity. Lord, I thank you for every job that is represented here. From those who might be uh, students in full-time education, those who have paying jobs, those who work part-time, those who work full-time, those who labour with children, those who try and juggle the balance of multiple jobs and commitments, those who serve voluntarily in running, I don't know, kids' clubs or serving in other environments, Lord. Those of us who have perceived high-paid, well-good executive jobs and those who perceive might have more menial jobs, Lord, I thank you for all of them and I thank you for the expression you give to us as a church in that. Lord, and I thank you that every work is good, Lord Jesus. They are all good in you. And Lord God, as we go into this week, a new week, God, I pray by your grace that we would wake up tomorrow morning and say, thank God it's Monday. Lord, and we would go into the day knowing that you have called us, you have put us in a place, Lord, and you have put us there to shape something for your glory, to point to you, to ultimately to your Son, his death on the cross and resurrection, Lord. But as we work day by day, you know, doing what we're doing, God, that you would use us powerfully in that place, Lord. We are, I'd ask you to use us to bless our workplaces, that the fact that we're there would be a good thing. <laughs> And people would value the fact we're there. Our colleagues, our workers, um, people who work under us, people who work over us, those who work alongside us, God, we ask, God, that you would use that for your glory. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.